wonder if we turn in our Bibles to the Epistle of Paul to the Philippians, and we're turning to chapter 1, and we'll read uh, from verse 19 of the chapter for the sake of time. Philippians chapter 1, beginning our reading at verse 19. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not, for I am in a strict betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrifying by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word afresh to our hearts. Let's unite in the word of prayer. Our loving and our gracious God, we thank thee for the great faith of the apostle. We thank thee for his hope, his surety, his certainty that to be with Christ was far better. And yet, Lord, we recognize he also saw that there was a need for him to minister. There was a need for him to do a job in the day in which he lived. And so have we. And so our God, we pray that thou wast enable us to see our responsibilities and put thy hand upon us as we labor for thee in this day. Draw us nigh to thee, pour out of thy spirit, and bless us as we uh, worship thee. For it's in Jesus' precious name I would ask these things. Amen. Look at uh, verse 27 there. Paul says, Only let your con conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Philippians is one of the so-called prison epistles. There are four of these prison epistles, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Paul likely wrote uh, Philippians last during his Roman imprisonment from 61 to 62 AD. 
uh, the apostle had sent the other three epistles by the hand of uh, Tychicus, but this time um, Epaphroditus had come to Rome, and he was bringing some financial help from the church at Philippi, and this time Epaphroditus comes back from Paul, uh, and he is returning. Epaphroditus had taken ill on the journey, uh, but he was coming to deliver a letter from the apostle Paul. If you look at chapter 2, verses 26 to 27, Paul says of Epaphroditus, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And you remember how that we read that Paul was in the prison at this time. He was very conscious that he was probably near the end of his life. At any time, he could be executed. And we find that Paul here, uh, he wants to make sure that the good work that has been going on in the church at Philippi is able to continue. And you'll notice, if you look at the text, that it starts with the word only. Now, that's a word that is left out in some of the new versions, and that gives us some of the drawbacks of the new versions, because that word only is a very important word. As Paul sat in his jail cell here, he was saying to himself, you know, I'm not going to be here that long. I'm not going to be here forever. So I need to pass a message to the Philippines. And what is it going to be? Well, the word only there means, he say, if he's really saying, whatever else you do, do this. If you only do this thing, if you do this one thing only, then that's something. That's something. There are many other things you can do, but if you're going to do only one thing, this is it. And then he goes on to outline the things that the Philippian Christians needed to have true of them. And if they are things that are going to be basic, if they are at least things that if it's only one thing that we do, that this is it, then this is something important for every child of God. This is something absolutely fundamental. We, uh, in past days in the church, there's been a great emphasis upon the New Testament church and upon what the New Testament church does. And there's been preaching upon uh, the New Testament church and research about the New Testament church. But here is Paul's advice to the New Testament church, how they should live. And we have the fundamentals then of the Christian life. So as we look at this portion of scripture, that's my subject, the fundamentals of the Christian life. And there are a few of them here in the text and in the verses around it that I want you to see. And the first uh, fundamental of the Christian walk is to do with our conversation or our citizenship. Look at the text again, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm sure you know that the word conversation from the times that the authorized version was written has changed its meaning. And you know, in our day, of course, it means a chat. It means um, a conversation or a, a talk between two or more people. 
It means uh, some kind of dialogue. That's what it means today. But in the days when the authorized version was written, it meant your way of life or your daily habit. The word conversation comes from a French word that speaks of your daily habit. And that's what it meant when it came into English at the first. And now it has changed its meaning. But there's something else about that word conversation. Because the word in the Greek there is also a word that means citizenship. You think of uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, for our conversation. It's the same word translated by the authorized version. Our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But when that verse is quoted very often, it is said, well, our citizenship is in heaven. And this also is a reference to our citizenship. So we're to walk worthy of our citizenship. We're to behave as citizens should. Only let your citizenship be as it becometh the gospel. Paul is saying, bring your life into conformity to your homeland. Display the culture of your homeland, which is heaven, if you're saved and washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. But when you see the standard he implies here, it says here that we're to conduct ourselves as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And the word becometh there could be translated worthy. Now, if you did translate it worthy, you might get a little bit of misunderstanding because you might think, well, I can be worthy of the gospel. We're never worthy of the gospel. And that's something that we need to kneel on the head from the start. We are never worthy of the gospel. Uh, the um, way that he's speaking here is that we are to display the reality of our salvation in our lives. Live as if the gospel is true. Live as if we have been uh, saved by the grace of God. But I want you to see that there is a standard for the child of God. Now, that should be uncontroversial. It shouldn't be in any way controversial that there are things that God's people should do and should not do. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't steal. We should behave ourselves as uh, Christians should in very many ways. We should be modest in our behavior. We should have a desire to worship God. We should have a desire to pass on the message of the gospel to those around us. We shouldn't be cheats. And I, I could give you a list, and the list could go on. But I'm not going to give you a list because that wouldn't be um, uh, edifying either. We're, we're not dealing with lists. But you know, it has become controversial that we say that there are things that Christians should do and shouldn't do, particularly in America, where there is preaching on what they call legalism. There is legalism. Now, legalism is when you put some, if you say that my keeping of the law merits something from God, or that we identify as this person is a Christian because he doesn't do that, or he doesn't do this, or he doesn't do the other thing. And there's a danger of that. There is a danger of legalism that we think that we can merit anything with God. It's all by grace. By grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. But there are those who feel that if we say that you shouldn't work on the Sabbath day except for uh, works of necessity and mercy or whatever, if we say that a Christian should dress modestly or if we say that you walk according to what the Scriptures say, 
There are many today who would say, well, you're being legalistic. We have freedom. And we're not saying in any way, and we should not say, that what you do merits anything with God, but certainly should walk in a way that is different. If you're saved, if you're a new creature, then you should, be, you should have new standards. And I want you to see that there are standards that we should display. But notice the signs we should display. He says here that the standard is the gospel of Christ. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So we are to conduct ourselves in a way that is becoming of the gospel of Christ. Now, that's a peculiar phrase. He doesn't say, well, uh, uh, behave yourself, let your conversation be as becometh a Christian. He doesn't say, let your conversation be as the Lord would have you live, or something like that. He says, as becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, why does he mention the gospel of Christ? Surely there's something there. Well, when you think about the gospel of Christ, for one thing, part of the gospel of Christ is the doctrine of repentance. When the Lord Jesus came first preaching, almost the first message, or really the first message that he preached, was repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The shorter catechism defines repentance. It says, what is repentance unto life? And it says, repentance unto a life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ doth with grief and hatred of sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Now, it is the endeavor after new obedience. If you turn from sin, if you're turning away from sin, if you're saying, I don't want the life of sin anymore, then your life is going to be different. You're going to turn to the things that are godly. And we will dress modestly, or we will keep the Sabbath day, or we'll want to worship God, and we will not lie, and we will not steal. And it won't be because of this law, but because we have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have been changed by the grace and power of God. The Bible says... Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. So we're not going to be in ungodly company, keeping ungodly company all the time, because we're changed. Not because we're doing it to merit anything for God, but because we, are, we have repented. Something else, there's regeneration. We're born again of the Spirit of God. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Therefore, if we're a new creature, we're going to behave in a new way. There's going to be something different about us. We're going to have different interests and different desires, and we'll walk in a different way than we did before. So we're to walk as becometh the gospel of Christ, which speaks about repentance and regeneration and conversion. We're converted to God. We see the standards he implies and the signs we display, but look at also the steadfastness we show. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. 
And he speaks there in the present tense because this is something that keeps going on from week to week and from month to month. It's not just something that we do when we're first saved, but we continue to walk with God. And I hope that we walk with God because our walk should be coming closer and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ day by day. So there is the first fundamental of the Christian walk. We speak about our conversation or our citizenship. But then I want you to see the second fundamental of our Christian walk, and that's communion. Look at what he says. He says there, stand fast. But then he adds, stand fast together. And then he goes on with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And there's an emphasis now upon union and upon communion. That is something that is missed in this day. The Bible really deals with people not as individuals, although we come to Christ individually, but we uh, come to Christ as the church. I was listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones during the week, and he was uh, making this point. Uh, He said that Christ died for the church. Uh, Ephesians 5 and 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And of course he died for you and me, Uh, But he died for us as part of the church. He died for his church. He sees his church as one. He sees his bride as one. And so we are one. We are one. He died to redeem and bring us to himself that that bride, that his people might be brought together in unity and harmony one with another. And if you ever think of leaving the local church where God has placed you, then you need to beware of committing the sin of schism. We never leave a church where the gospel is fully and uh, wholly preached. Uh, We think of the early church, and you think of the picture. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Luke's record of this is that there is a harmony. This is bigger than you and me. And we need to recognize, we need to be of one accord, this harmony. And we recognize the differences that there were in the disciples, as there always were. But we need to have this unity. And what was the unity based upon? Well, it was based on the one foundational experience. The one foundational experience of knowing Christ, that experienced Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection, They'd watched him ascend into heaven, and they had been brought to be redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. They were given the power of the Holy Spirit and all of these things, and they had foundational experiences. And we have come together. We're different people, different personalities, but there's a harmony, or there ought to be, because we're in Christ. Not only did they have the foundational experience that brought them together, But prayer brought them together. They were of one accord in prayer. And that's why it is so vital that as God's people, we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as far as the prayer meeting is concerned. We are to pray together. If you're not praying together with God's people, there is that little bit of disharmony. 
There is that little bit of you're not making use of the opportunity to bring yourselves together with this one desire. You hear one another pray. You know the burdens of one another and you are able to enter into their burdens and you're able to lift up their prayers and we are able to pray for one another as we ought. There is unity in prayer. And then there was unity in work. The biblical writers constantly called for the people to work together. We, uh, Paul said, we are laborers together with Christ. And as we labor together, um, you, those of you that were helping with the Holy Bible Club the other week, do you not see that that brought a little bit of unity? Do you not see that that brought a, a little bit of, uh, of common desire? For the work of God, we work together. And then we have a common purpose together, and that's for the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, he says, stand fast together. We stand firm in this day. There was opposition in that day, and we stand firm, and we strive together. With one mind, he says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And that word striving together as the th thought of athletics. Um, it's like the relay race. And one is running, but he is also running to make sure that the baton is passed. We work as a team together. And many of us are in the ministry of the church, whether it is in the Sunday school or whether it's the children's meeting or whether it is in the prayer meeting or whether it's in the media ministry or whether it is in the support of missionaries or the support of the mission board or in the outreaches that we do from time to time or in the Consider Christ outreach or whatever it is, we are all involved and it all needs teamwork. We have to pull together in order to see the work of God go forward. So there is this emphasis and this fundamental lane of the Christian uh, walk is this communion. And where that breaks down, it always leads to disaster. The third fundamental of the Christian walk is courage. He says here that we are to stand. We are to strive. And that also implies courage. And we know, we've just mentioned there, how that in those days the uh, Christians were being Persecuted. Philippi was a Roman colony. Look at verse 27 again. Look, he says, he says there in, uh, the, in verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come and see you or, or am absent, I may hear of you and you uh, that you're standing firm in one spirit. Now, as we say Philippi is a Roman colony at this time, at that time, the emperors had come to count themselves as gods. The, um, uh, Francis Schaeffer once said the early Christians were not persecuted because they worshipped Jesus, but because they worshipped Jesus only. And that was the problem, because no Christian would say that Jesus or Caesar is Lord. And if they would have accommodated that and would have just put the Lord Jesus in the pantheon, of the Roman God, the gods, just like another god, just every religion, every god is the same equality. Nobody would have bothered with them. But because they said that Jesus Christ is the only Savior, 
That's what got them into bother. So Paul says, in the midst of this, stand fast. Don't be backing away. There are many of God's people, many ministries today, in the face of the onslaught of the liberal agenda, the left-wing agenda of today, are backing away. You had the Church of England, the, the Anglican Church there. We thank God for those that are still in the Anglican Church in Africa and other places that are standing fast. But for the Western churches, like in Scotland and in Wales, um, in um, America, Canada, Australia, many of those churches, they're backing away. You can see the Church of England backing away from the truth. They want to have same-sex marriages. They want, they want to have the uh, blessing of uh, transsexualism uh, trans, uh, and all the rest of it. They're backing away from the truth. God says, no, stand fast. And that's his message to us in this day. When it's going to be hard, when it's going to be difficult, where these things are continuing on, and we see how that the governments and the, um, uh, the authorities of this day are pushing this left-wing agenda. But we recognize today that the Lord Jesus Christ is the king, and he sets the rules. And we're to draw the dividing line between ourselves and those that are trying to force us into another way of go going. This is the standard. God's word is the standard. And we've got to be courageous today. We've got to take our stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're like soldiers standing firm in the battle. Or we are like the uh, football team advancing towards the goal. And the only way that we're going to score the goal or win the battle is if we are working together. And it's no different in the church. It's no different in the church. And we are to strive together. The Bible says, All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And there will be persecution against us. We've got to reckon upon that. We think of the Lord Jesus Christ himself who was nailed to the cross. And if we're going to be his followers, we are to accept and expect nothing else. You think of the martyrs of the past. You think of the covenanters who were hounded to death many times on the moors of Scotland, and others who have had to take a stand in our day and generation. Those that have had to go to death in North Korea or in China or wherever, Somalia, wherever it is across the world, would we stand in those days? You see, the courageous church suffers together. And we think of what Paul says there in verse 28. He says, And in nothing be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. The word terrified there means an uncontrolled stampede of terrified horses. Can you imagine what that looks like? Horses stampeding, running wherever they are, scattering, not unified. He says, don't be like that. Don't be terrified. Oh, the government, the devil and his minions will want us to scatter, will want us to be terrified, will in all ways stop us from standing together. He will bring every reason why you should abandon your post, 
or every reason why you shouldn't be in the midst of the work. Oh, I'm discouraged. I'm cast down today. No, what does he say? He says, stand fast. Stand fast. You know, we think of the persecution that the uh, saints of God had in days gone by. And I think of John Chrysostom. John Chrysostom was one of the early preachers. He was a pastor in the fourth century. And he was brought before the empress in that day. And the empress threatened him with banishment. And he said, you can't banish me, for this world is my father's house. She said, well, if I can't banish you, I'll kill you. She says, no, you can't kill me because my life is hidden with Christ. Well, then she says, I'll take away your treasures. I'll take away what you own. He says, no, you can't, for my treasure's in heaven. She says, well, I'll drive you away from your friends, and you'll have nothing left. He says, no, you can't, because I have a friend in heaven who said, he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And you see, she thought that he was weak. She thought that she had in a position where he had nowhere to go. But dear friend, he had the Lord Jesus Christ and he had everything. And that's Bible courage. That's the kind of courage she thought he was weak, but he is strong. Look at verse 29. Uh, he, he says there, for, you, for unto you it is given on behalf of Christ, but not, not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. Really, he takes it for granted there that there will be a suffering. And he says it's, it's for the sake of Christ. And you see, that's the end of it all. We do what we do for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 30, he says, Having the same conflict which he saw in me. This is the same conflict. It's, it, it isn't only a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. It's the same conflict that the Apostle Paul had. It's the same conflict that every saint of God has had down through the ages. And it's for the sake of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we are to be is to live, be living proofs of the reality of our salvation in Christ today. And I wonder today, are we living? Is our conversation as it becometh the gospel of Christ? Is that the way we live day by day? Or could we improve? Could there be changes? Could there be other things that we do? do should, should we come along, pray with God's people? Should, should we have more of a desire to uh, help the work and witness of God in this corner of the vineyard? Should we not have a desire to further the cause of Christ in every way that we can. He says, this is the fundamental, fundamental to your walk. Let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel. He says, stand fast, strive together. And that's what marks out someone who is walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, only if there's nothing else, if this is just the only thing that is true of you, let this be true of you. So this is absolutely fundamental. 
if this is not true of you in some way, then there's a problem. So let's follow the Lord. Let's walk with him. Let's strive together and stand fast in our faith and with our Savior. Let's just bow, please, in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts today. And we pray that thou wast enable us to stand fast, to strive together, to let our conversation, our standards, be as becometh the gospel of Christ. And, O God, we pray that thou wast challenge our hearts today and help us to follow thee. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Well, let's uh, turn to the hymn 539 in closing. The hymn 539, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. The hymn 539, and we'll stand as we sing.
loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we pray that uh, thou wast enable us to stand for thee, having done all to stand, and was to put on the armor of God. Separate us now in thy fear and with thy blessing. Take us to our homes and safety. Watch over us and continue with us throughout this day. For it's in Jesus' precious name I would ask these things. Amen.